About three weeks ago, we started a a study in Jeremiah 23, which is what we're going to finish up tonight. So if you want to open your Bible to that, that's where we'll be, Jeremiah 23. And we were talking about false prophets. We were just kind of looking at what God says to and about false prophets in this chapter. Now, if you remember from the, the when we started the study, we, we started it by talking about that God has a high view of Scripture. Right? So, and we'll just cut review some of this, for instance. We're told that in, in, in the New Testament, Paul writes, for this cause we thank God without ceasing because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard of us, you receive it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. Right? So, Paul went and he shared the gospel. He preached them things that God had showed him. And he said they received it as it really was. Not like the word of men, but as it actually was, which was the word of God. So God considers what we have to actually be his word. Uh, Thessalonians also will later say, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who has given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now what he's talking about, about despising, is the teaching. There is a particular teaching in First in Thessalonians 4 that Paul is referencing. And he's saying, if you, if you don't like this, if you're rejecting the teaching, it's not that you're rejecting me. And it's not that you're rejecting the person who shared it. You're actually rejecting God who has given it to you. right? And then, this is the last one, one of the most severe ones that we see. That if anyone would add to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man take away... From the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. So, all of these passages, and so many more, show us that God has a high view of Scripture. Now, God has always, we didn't look at the Old Testament tonight, but there are just as many more in the Old Testament that talk about God's high view of Scripture in the Old Testament. So God has always had this really high view that when, when it was preceded by, Thus saith the Lord, and it came by one of His prophets, it was kind of meant to be taken as though it was His Word. And despite the fact that God always had this really high view of His Word, there were always people, there have always been false prophets who would take and twist God's Word for their own benefit. And, and, and while it has always been the case, it is probably more common in our day. And it's more common in our day because Scripture is so available. right? In, in the Old Testament or the New Testament time, everybody did not have a Bible of their own. right? Basically, if they wanted to try to deceive people, they either had to say, I had a vision and God told me specifically... Or they had to work their way up to be the, the person that was in charge of the synagogue or the person that was in charge of the church where probably the only copy of Scripture was. But in our day, that's not the case. In our day, we all probably have multiple hard copies of the Bible. And if we use smartphones, we probably have at least one Bible app on there that gives us access to every translation of Scripture known to mankind. So the... the accessibility of God's Word, while this is such a blessing that we have, it also makes it far easier for someone to set them up as an authority, for someone to begin to say, I know what the Bible really means. You should listen to what I have to say. My view is correct and everything you've ever heard before was wrong. And then you add to that social media and, the, uh, and blogging and vlogging and all of the things like that where people have access to just 
put their ideas and their thoughts out where the whole world can hear them or see them. And what you have is a, a, a really good recipe for people to twist and distort God's word and to make false prophets just abound in our world today. Yet, God's view of Scripture has not changed. His view is just as high as it always has been. And this matters because, as we're going to see in Jeremiah, God has much to say to those who would twist Scripture and lead others astray. Look at Jeremiah 23, and we're just going to read uh, just a few verses here. Verses 9 through 11. For mine heart within me is broken because of the prophets, all my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome. Because of the Lord, because of the words of His holiness. For the land is full of adulterers, and because of swearing, the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and their course is evil, and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, saith the Lord. So, both prophet and priest are profane. So, false prophets abound. And that's the title of our message. Let's pray real quick. Father, we love you. Guide us as we... Look at your word. Help us to take it to heart. Help us to be sure that we examine teachers, Lord, all teachers, to make sure that what they're teaching is true. Let us test it against the scripture and make sure that what someone says truly is thus saith the Lord. Guide us in our own hearts and in our own lives to be sure that when we share the word, when we teach the word, we are being faithful to it as well. Give me clarity of thought tonight. Give me clarity of speech. Fill me with your spirit. Use me for your glory. Help us to be a church, Lord, that is firm on the truth of the word, firm on the fact that the Bible is your authority and that's what everything has to come back to. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Right, so false prophets have always been around and they can be hard to spot. Jesus said that they could be like wolves in sheep's clothing, meaning that they would do everything they could to appear Christian. Now, last time what we looked at were the characteristics of a false prophet. And, and, and I want to just cover that. And it will be quick. Despite how long it may look on the paper there. Uh, just quickly. These are the characteristics of the false prophets. If you weren't here last time. You can take those down. Um, but false prophets speak from false authorities. Right. So look at verse 13. Uh, God says. I, folly, As I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesy in Baal. And cause my people to err. In verse 16. It says, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that the prophets or that prophesy unto you that make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not of the mouth of the Lord. And then in verse 26, it says, how long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart. So when we see the characteristic of a false prophet is what, what's the authority for their teaching? Where does it come from? Does it come from Scripture? Or does it come from somewhere else? Now, two common false authorities in our day are personal dreams, personal visions, and personal revelations. It is not uncommon among a certain segment in, in Christian culture for people to stand up in front of a group and say, not really use their Bible, just kind of leave it, set back down, and and just begin to say, this morning as I was praying, the Lord began to speak to me. And here's what the Lord showed me. Or last night, while I was asleep, the Lord gave me this dream. And here's what this dream means for us. Or or God showed me something that no one has ever seen or heard or, or known before. Right? And all of that, what you're finding is the Scripture is not the foundation. It is their personal dreams, their personal visions, 
their personal revelations. The other false authority that people use today are their feelings, their heart, or their natural mind. Uh, this one is also very common in a particular segment of subculture of Christianity, is, is people just to say, well, that, that truth hurts my feelings and it makes me feel bad. And because it hurts my feelings and makes me feel bad, it can't really possibly be of God. Or I know in my own heart that there's just no way that, that God would care about that. Or, or their natural mind, does it really make sense to you that God would care about, or God would be like, or God would act like? And again, it's the same thing as the the fault, the, the personal dreams, visions, and revelations, that the Bible's not the authority. It, it is something else. And so we should always push away from people like that. Secondly, false prophets lead people astray. Right at the end of verse 13, it says, these false prophets caused my people to err. Right? And we'll talk more about this in a little bit. But false prophets don't just cause people to think in a new way about an old truth. They actively lead people away from God, away from Jesus, and away from salvation. Right? We see that false prophets live sinful lives. It says in verse 14 that they commit adultery. Um, when you read in the Bible what it has to say about false prophets, there are typically two types of sin that are most common in their lives. There is some form of sexual sin, and there is the sin of covetousness. Uh, false prophets, false teaching often is a way to excuse a sinful life or it is a way to make merchandise of other people. False prophets strengthen people in sin. Right? It also says in verse 14 that because of the false prophets that they strengthen the hands of evildoers that none returneth from his wickedness. They are all of them as to me as to Sodom as the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Right? So the people that live in sin, the false prophets go to them and say your sin's okay. God is okay with it. There's no need to repent. There's no need to turn back. God is fine with how you're living and what you're doing. Yet if Scripture calls something a sin, it's a sin. And anyone who says differently is a false prophet. False prophets give a false hope. It says in verse 16 that we're not to listen to the false prophets because they make you vain. And then verse 17 that they say to those that despise God, the Lord has said you shall have peace and they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. Again, they strengthen them in their sins. They don't turn back and they tell them you're going to be fine. When you die and stand before the Lord, you're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It is a, a false hope. Again, we'll talk about this more in a minute. But the reality is, false teachers do not make genuine converts to Christianity. Right? If someone is truly a false prophet and someone turns and to go into that and believes in that teaching, that person is not saved. They are given a false hope and they are still condemned and under the judgment of God. And then finally, false prophets steal God's word. If you look at verse 27, it says that they cause people to forget my name. By their dreams, which they tell every man and his neighbor. So they cause people to forget what God has said and what God is like through their own visions and their own dreams. And then in verse 30, it actually says that they steal my word. Right? We should always be aware of any supposed Christian teacher who tries to push us away from Scripture. Who tells us that we don't need Scripture. Or who in any way minimizes the inspiration, the authority, the reliability, or the sufficiency of Scripture for our lives. 
They are false teachers, false prophets who are trying to steal God's word from us because they know that if we compare what they're saying with what God has said, we're going to say you're wrong. Right? I mean, that's the only real way a false prophet can prosper is by telling us to put this down and don't look at it for yourself. Just take my word for it. Just trust me. You don't need to study the Bible for yourself. You just need to listen to what I have to say. I have all the answers. And anytime someone begins to tell us to do things like that, they're telling us we don't need to study it. We don't need to search it. We should always beware because that is very likely a false prophet. So those are the characteristics of a false prophet. The next part is God's message to the false prophets. But after laying out these characteristics of what a false prophet is like, God has a, a couple of messages, right? And there's a whole bunch that He has, but I've summed them up in, in two statements that are powerful and important, right? So God's first message is that He will bring disaster on the false prophets. But look at, at verse 12. Wherefore their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. Now, notice what God says in verse 12. That their way shall be a slippery way in the darkness. Have you ever tried to walk on a slippery surface in the dark? Right? Have you ever tried to walk across a sheet of ice or a slippery or an icy parking lot in the dark where there's no light and you can't see? How do you walk when you go across a slippery area like that and you can't see? Do you just kind of bail off and run through there? Or do you just gingerly kind of step and make every way? Well, typically, if we're, if we're smart, we walk very carefully. We don't just bail off in there. And yet what God says is they are going to walk on a slippery place in the dark. But notice, they're not going to get to walk gingerly like that because they shall be driven. Right? And the picture is, they may try to walk carefully, but there is going to be God behind them, driving them on, pushing them on, for the express purpose that they will fall. For He will bring evil upon them. Right? So it's not like a series of circumstances that just they happen to have bad things happen to them. No. God Himself is going to be the one who will bring the disaster on these false prophets. Let's just take a second and think about that. I mean, let that sink in. God has a plan for every false prophet in the world. Every person who intentionally twists and distorts His Word to lead people astray... God has a plan for them. And it is not to comfort them. It is not to strengthen them. It is not to help them. It is to bring disaster upon them. And that's hard. That is God's plan, what He will do. This is further seen in verse 15. Look at what He says in verse 15. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning these prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. Now, the idea behind feeding them wormwood and making them drink the water of gall is, is really very similar. In fact, some translations may say it, but he's going to, to poison them so that they will die. He's going to make sure they consume poison 
so that they would die. This again, God is going to bring disaster upon them. God is going to bring judgment upon them. God is going to kill them. And then in verse 19, we see it again. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind, and it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. God would pour out His fury on the wicked. In this context, the wicked would refer to the false prophets and those who embrace the false prophets' teaching. We'll get to that in just a second. For now, God will bring judgment on false prophets. Now, Scripture repeatedly teaches this. Um, Jude 1 and 13 says that, that blackest darkness is reserved for false teachers. Jesus talked about people facing judgment being cast into outer darkness will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But as we see here, it's not just the false prophets who will face this judgment. It is the wicked. And the wicked in the context of Jeremiah 23 are those who believe the false prophets lie. They embrace that false doctrine that the false prophets are bringing and God will bring judgment and disaster on them as well. Now, it's not just seen in Jeremiah 23. We find this all throughout the Old and New Testament. But probably the, the best picture is Revelation chapter 2. But in this church... There is a, a false prophetess there who is encouraging the people to sin and leading them astray, telling them God is okay with your sin for this reason or that reason. And in the previous verse it says that, that God had given or Jesus had given them time to repent, but she hadn't repented. Now Jesus had been merciful. He had convicted her, he had sent his spirit, he had probably sent other prophets, done things to give her time to turn from her false teaching, to turn to the truth, but she didn't. And so now, Jesus was going to send judgment. Now notice what he says, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. Now, who are the children of a false prophet. They're converts. Those who had believed the teaching of this Jezebel is what he calls her. They were her children. He would kill them with death. And I think the redundancy of that is just meant to show the severity of the judgment that was coming. Now, notice. Here's what's great, I think. Notice what Jesus says. I will. I will. I will. I mean, he's taken full responsibility for what he's about to do. I, I'm reading in Ezekiel right now, my daily Bible reading. In Ezekiel, God repeatedly says things he's going to do. I, I will bring judgment. I will destroy your homes. I will bring famine. I will bring death. You will, I will kill you with a sword. I will kill you with famine. I, I will kill you. And I think that's really powerful for us to understand because in our day, it is very common for us to, for people to want us to be ashamed of the fact that God brings judgment. And yet in Scripture, God is not ashamed of the judgment He brings. In fact, we don't have time, but read Lamentations, particularly Lamentations 2. 
And notice all of the times that, that when Jeremiah laments the fall and the destruction of Jerusalem, he says, you did it, God. You did this. You did this. There is not a verse in Scripture that God is ashamed of. So when it talks about that God will send a whirlwind upon them, that God will bring disaster upon them, that God will drive them so that they fall, that God will feed them with wormwood and with gall of bitterness, God is not ashamed of the fact that He is the one who will bring that judgment upon them. It is they have set themselves up in opposition to the God of heaven. And He is going to show them that I am He which searcheth the heart, searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto everyone what they deserve. False prophets and those who believe their lies, they will face the harsh judgment of God. Those who believe the false prophets' teachings are not genuinely converted to Christ. This is why false doctrine is so dangerous. If it was just another way to believe and people went to heaven, it would be wrong for us to stand against it. But it condemns people to an eternal hell. And we must understand that. And then... God is against false prophets. And that seems redundant. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But just notice what God says in verses 30 through 32. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord. Verse 31. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord. Verse 32. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord. And I just want to emphasize that it doesn't matter how nice a false prophet may seem. It doesn't matter how popular their book is, how many social media followers that they have, how nicely they dress, how eloquent they speak. God is completely against them. God is not for them. God is against them. God is against them to the point that look at what He says in verse 33. And when this people or prophet or priest shall seek thee. Say, what is the burden of the Lord? The burden of the Lord is like the message of the Lord. Then thou shalt say unto them, what burden? I believe and forsake you, saith the Lord. But if a false prophet were to go to Jeremiah and say, hey, what's the word? What's God got to say? Jeremiah's response would be to tell them God just had a message for them of judgment. There is no good news for you. There is no good word. Look at verse 37. Thus shalt thou say to the prophet, What hath the Lord answered thee? And what hath the Lord spoken? So it pictures, they come to him, what's the word? Well, God has forsaken you. God is going to judge you. God is going to bring disaster upon you. And they come back, what's the word? What's the word? And all Jeremiah is to say is, What's God told you already? What has God already said about your lies and your false teaching? It hasn't changed. God has no Positive message for the false prophets except one of judgment that is not going to change lest they repent of their sin, repent of their idolatry, repent of their false teaching as Jesus talked about here and turn back to the Lord. God is against them and He will never ever be for a false prophet no matter what. All in all, Scripture has a hard message. God has a hard message. 
for the false prophets. There is a bleak future for them and those that they deceive. So then lastly, God's conclusion. Final part is just what I would call God's conclusion. And it's, again, primarily focused for the false prophets, probably the people in Jerusalem. I would say it is a a good word for us as well. And, And first is, be faithful with God's word. Verse 28, God says, The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell the dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? It's not my word as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Those who would speak His word must speak it faithfully and they must speak it boldly. But in part of being faithful with God's word is saying what God says. No more, no less. Uh, The message is not Jeremiah's and it's not the prophet's to alter. It is God's word and they are to take it to the people exactly the way that God had said it. Now, my Bible reading, as I mentioned, is in Ezekiel. And over and over again, God tells Ezekiel that his job is not to make up the message. His job isn't to tweak the message. His job is this. You hear the message from the Lord, and then you take it and you speak to the people exactly what God says. And He tells them not to worry about their faces. Don't worry about how they respond. Don't worry about whether they hear or they don't hear. Your job is to hear what I say and then speak that exactly as I said it into the people that I send you. That is our job too. We're not prophets to the nations, but we are still witnesses for Jesus Christ. And our message, our job, is to hear the Word, to know the Word, and then to say it exactly as God has given Our job is not to alter the message. Our job is not to soften the message. Our our job is not to make up our own message. Our job is to give the message exactly as God gives it. That's what faithfulness to God's Word demands. And I guess I would also say, our job is not to not give the Word. Right? So faithfulness demands that if someone were to say, let's say someone comes to you, and asked about salvation. And you know they don't believe in Jesus. And you know they're not going to receive it. And just to say, oh, I can't really talk about that right now. or oh, I, you know, And you find a way to keep from telling them what the Bible says. That's not faithfulness either. Faithfulness requires us to give the message. And to give it exactly as God has said it. As we've seen, God has strong words for those who add to His word. Or those who take away from His word. And if we add to it if we take away from it, if we soften it, if we withhold it, we are not any better than the false prophets God has spoken against in Jeremiah 22. A false prophet, essentially, someone who alters God's message. If I intentionally alter it, I am no different than these people here. And everything God has said about them will certainly come to pass to me. Now, also a part of being faithful with the message, look at verse 22. Well, 21 and 22. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, and they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. 
Right? So if they had truly preached God's word, a part of what they would have done is caused the people to turn from their sin and turn back to God. So a part of being faithful to God's word, it is calling on people to obey God's word. But if we are sharing the gospel with someone, part of being faithful to the gospel is saying you must now repent of your sins and you must believe in Jesus Christ. If we are sharing the word with someone who is straying away from the path of the Lord, it, it is our job to be faithful to not only say, here's what the Bible says, but now you must turn from your life of sin and you must turn back to God. That is a part of faithfulness. It's not just saying, there's the Bible, but now saying, now you've got to turn. You, you've got to bring your life into conformity to what God says. So God's conclusion to, to all of us, be faithful. Be faithful with God's words. And then secondly, God is watching. Look at verse 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in the secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth? Saith the Lord. Here's what God's basically saying. I'm everywhere and I see everything and no one hides from me. But God is watching to see if we are faithful to His Word. Now, so for our context, for them, these prophets gathered a crowd and God saw. But there's places like in Ezekiel where the false prophets gathered people in secret rooms. And they took them in these secret rooms like in the temple. And they began to share their wicked things and their false teaching in a secret place, not out in the open. And God showed that to Ezekiel because God saw what happens in the open and God saw what happened in the secret places. So for our context, what that would mean is God sees if we have this really big platform and we share on social media or we stand up to preach or we stand up to teach and thousands of people hear us and thousands of people see how we share His Word, God sees that. But if we have a one-on-one -on -one talk with somebody at our house where nobody else is there and nobody else sees and it's just us and them and we take out the Word and we begin to share it, God sees how faithful we are there too. He sees whether we're faithful or whether we're not. We have to understand that. God has a high view of Scripture. And He expects us as His people to have a high view of Scripture as well. God has a high view of Scripture, so He cares how we interact with His Word. So we must handle His Word with care, with faithfulness, because God is watching. Now, quickly, I want to take some time to show one passage that covers all of this last point. To be faithful with God's word and that God is watching. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. It's a familiar passage. So since we're familiar with it, I'll be able to cover it very quickly. Second Timothy 3. We're going to start in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So again... Bible is God's Word, right? So there's that. And is profitable or usable or right for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, doctrine is what we believe, right? Scripture teaches us what's right, what we should believe about God, about salvation, about life in general, right? It's also profitable for reproof. Reproof is showing that something is wrong. So, if what someone believes, if what I believe, 
about God or salvation or Jesus or life in general is wrong, Scripture will reveal that to me. Scripture will say, you're wrong because here's what's right. Right? And, and that's a part of what Scripture is used for. It is used to show us when something is wrong. But it's also for correction. So Scripture doesn't just say, you're wrong. It also says, here's what's right. Here's what you, here's what you believe, but here's what the truth is. Here's how you're living, but here's how you should be living. But here's how you react. Here's how you should be reacting. And for instruction in righteousness. Right through the teaching of Scripture, we're instructed on how to become righteous. We're instructed how to, to live righteous. How to have righteous relationships. React to stressors in righteous way. And just generally be the righteous people of God. And Scripture is given so that we can be equipped. Verse 17. Thoroughly furnished. To every good works, so we can do all the things that God wants to do. So that's we're, we're faithful to Scripture because this is what it's for, right? So we're supposed to use it for all of these things. Now, if you go into chapter four, it, these first six verses are kind of like foundational preaching or teaching on preaching, what preaching should be. But just because it's focused on the preaching doesn't mean it has no use or no application for us. Right? Because how much of Scripture is usable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness? All of it is. Right? So if I'm going to be sharing Scripture, then I need the, the charge that's labeled in this as well to know how to use Scripture. So notice in, in verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with long suffering and doctrine. Okay, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the picture there is that God is watching. Every time I stand up to preach, God is watching. Every time we share the word with someone, God is watching. And with this idea that God is watching is the fact that He will judge the living and the dead. So part of the idea is God is watching and God will hold me an account. I will have to give an account for the way I preached and the way I shared the Word. And so will you. Whether you've ever stood in front of a congregation and declared the Word, or whether you just talked to someone across a coffee table, you're going to give an account. The Lord Jesus Christ is watching and there's a day coming when He will judge you for it. So what do we do? What do we do to make sure that we're faithful to this? Right? First, preach the Word. The Word. We'll come back to that in a minute. Preach the Word. Not our opinions, not our ideas. The Word. Preach the Word. When we share on something like this, when we're trying to help someone, trying to turn them to Christ, trying to turn them from a life of sin, we show the Word. Not our ideas, not our opinions, not what someone else has said. We share the Word. And as we do, we are to be instant, in season and out of season. Instant, in season and out of season, it means that you do this whether they respond or whether they don't. Right? Kind of like what God told Ezekiel. You go and you say what I told you to say. And if they reject it, that's on them. And if they turn, then that's great. It's not on you. You share it and you say it whether they respond or not. And that's what we're to do. Right? We are to share the word whether people respond or whether they don't respond. And then he says, Re, rebuke, or I'm sorry, reprove. Now, reprove, it, it refers to, it's a, 
It's not a really complicated word, but it means to convince someone of something. It means to expose something. Like in Ephesians 5, for instance, it says that we're not to be partakers of the evil deeds of the world. Rather, we are to reprove them. And the idea is we're to expose the evil deeds of the world as, as evil. We're not to have any part of them. We're to say, look at how wicked this is. Look at how wrong this is. So reprove here means that we take the word. And as we're talking to someone, we say what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're living, what you believe. It's wrong. It's wicked because here's what the Bible says. But you not only expose the error, you, you rebuke them. And to rebuke is to... Really, it is to cause them to, to see how wrong they are. It is to sharply or strongly correct someone. Now, this doesn't mean we have to be loud. Although we can. I'm not opposed to that, obviously. It does mean we cannot be wishy-washy. We cannot say, well, I mean, that's what it says, but I guess it could mean something else. I mean, I don't really read Greek. And I saw an article one day and it said that things had changed. It didn't really mean that. So, I mean, I, I think that's what it means. But, boy, you're just going to have to figure that one out on your own. Right? That's not a rebuke. That is a cowardly compromise. And it should have no place in the life of a believer. To rebuke is to be strong and firm with what the truth is and say, this is wrong. Here's what the Bible says. And that is right. About what the Bible says about sin, what we must say. What the Bible says about salvation, we must say. Then we're to exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. To exhort is to encourage them to change. right? To encourage them to repent and believe. To encourage them to turn from their sin and turn back to Jesus. To encourage them to stop what they're doing that's wrong and start doing what Scripture has said. We are to urge people. To bring their lives into conformity with Scripture. We're to do it with, with long-suffering. All long-suffering. Not just a little bit of long-suffering. All long-suffering. It means we have to be patient. We cannot just quickly give up on them. Right? It, it is not our place to determine someone is too far gone to be saved. It is not our place to determine someone has turned so far away they could never turn back again. I think long-suffering, I don't think it means that every time we see them, we have to drag out our Bible and be like, here. But I think it does mean that one, we don't give up. Two, when the opportunities arise, we share Scripture. We tell them what the Bible says. We, we plant seeds, we water, we do what we can, but we don't give up. And we're to do all of this with doctrine, which connects back to the idea of preach the Word. Everything we say in doing this, it has to be biblically sound. Right? Everything that we use to, to reprove and rebuke and exhort. It must be what the Bible says. It's useless if it's not. That's why, as we're doing this, the most common word we should say, the most common phrase we should say, is some variation of the Bible says. But I've talked before about someone asking you, if, are you saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'll go to hell? Now, in some ways, that is a trick sort of got you question. Because if we say yes, because what did it say? Are, are you saying, Judy, that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'll go to hell? If Judy says yes, well, that's just, that's Judy's opinion. Who's Judy? I'm not gonna, I don't have to do what she says. 
She ain't God. And if I accidentally communicate to someone that I'm saying my opinion, they're going to easily dismiss it, easily walk away from it. But if they say, are you saying if I don't repent of my sins and believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell? If we say, well, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's, that's what the Bible says. Let me show you that. Now, they may still dismiss it, but they're not dismissing me. And they're not dismissing you. They're dismissing what God has said. We, we do this. If they ask about sin or eternity or heaven or hell, spiritual issues, church, whatever they ask about. The Bible says, preach the word with doctrine. Everything must be biblically sound. We have to be careful in this. Not to accidentally or intentionally communicate to someone that we are giving them our opinion. Because opinions do not matter. Opinions do not change lives or save souls. The Word is what brings life. And the Word is what we must share. So we have to be sure that we are doing the Word as the central focus to this. Now, notice what he goes on to say there. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. For after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. They shall turn away from the truth and be turned unto fables. I mean, that's what's going to happen. That's what is happening. I mean, there you pick anything. Heaven, hell, Jesus, resurrection, sin, anything. You, you pick a, a Bible doctrine, and there is somebody that teaches exactly what somebody wants to hear. Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody goes to hell. There is no hell. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. He, he's just a good teacher, gives you some good moral principles. You name it, it's out there. There are itching ears. And there are people that are willing to scratch those ears for the people who want to hear it. And that's the false prophets. And we can't do anything about that. Our job is just to be sure that's not us. And we must be faithful to God's Word. Verse 5. Watch thou all thing, in all things endure afflictions. We're to be faithful to God's Word no matter the consequences. Right now, again, in, in America... Guy in Oklahoma. Endure afflictions isn't likely to be anything physical. It isn't likely to be anything where we lose our jobs or anything along those lines. But we might lose a relationship. We might lose a friend. We might lose the ability that somebody just breaks us off, breaks us out of their life. They might. Here's the reality. God calls for us to be more faithful to Him than we are to those relationships. To be willing... To lose the relationship for the sake of His Word and for the sake of the Gospel. that We are absolutely called to do that. To be faithful and endure afflictions no matter what that affliction is. And that's what He expects and He's, he's watching. So our takeaway from this is that God has a high view of Scripture. And so must we. Our view of Scripture must match God's view of Scripture. High view of Scripture isn't overly popular in our day, but it's certainly overly needed in our day. High view of Scripture isn't necessarily seen in our affirming, yes, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, but a high view of Scripture is seen when we are faithful to the Word, regardless of the consequences. Let's pray.